0: UMass Hockey went into Mankato and swept Minnesota State out of their own building in two very different but awesome games. We're here to recap both of them and have some really fun UMass Hockey conversations along the way. So let's go! Hi Character. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 95 of High Character. This is going to be a real fun episode. UMass just went into Mankato and swept Minnesota State two game series against their ranked team and they go on the road and take both of them. Such an awesome series and we could not be more excited to recap this one for you guys. My name is Cameron and as always I'm joined by my good friend Evan. Evan, how you feeling man?
1: I'm feeling great. I'm gonna start off by correcting you immediately. I'm 99 percent sure it's Mankato and not Mankato, but it's all good. I and don't care
0: at this point, dude. Who
1: cares? We swept them. Who gives a crap? You know exactly. know what I mean? we're we're feeling good. It's obviously it was a great series. You know, according to to Minnesota State, we escaped with that second victory. But I mean, we got the brooms out. You know, they're gonna be escaping from the from the top 20 rankings. So it feels good at the end <laughs> of the day. So, you know, loving life at the end of the day here. But yeah, no, really, really great series and. Can't wait to get into this one because we're starting off. You know, our first five games are gonna be four and one going into the BU series next weekend, so it's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, and uh, in my defense, even Coach Carville said Mankato was kind of a one and done uh town for him, so uh, does, doesn't mean too much there, but yeah, like like you said, such an awesome weekend for UMass. Uh, going on the road, uh, some really really promising things we saw from this team, Michael Harabel. Uh, what a stud he looks like as an 18-year-old goaltender. Some of the freshmen, there, was, there were so many good things that came out of this weekend, especially with the younger guys on this team. And it's just, it was incredible to see. This team's
1: different. Simple as that. You know what I mean? Like last season, there was a lot of games where we either couldn't close out games or we just weren't really battling the way that, you know, we kind of should be. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just different leadership. I don't know if it's just overall just more skillful players. I I don't – it's probably a mix of all of it, realistically. But just this team is just completely different from last season in all the right ways. You know what I mean? Like, we basically hit the upgrade button in every major category that you can think of. The offense, we know how to score goals now. The defense, we, we are blocking shots and making saves like nobody's business. The special teams, which we're obviously going to get into in the, you know, in this episode have been stellar to say the least, you know, what I mean? this was probably in my opinion, the best special teams weekend. I've probably ever seen in my time following this team in the past seven years. Like we'll get into the specifics later on, but just as a brief overview, I mean, those are three massive areas where we were just absolutely killing it. This, this
0: series. Yeah, it was all facets of the game. Exactly. Like you said. So, uh, we're, we're teasing a little too much. Let's let's get into the meat and potatoes here of these games. Uh, UMass going into Minnesota State, they were ranked number 19 going into these games. Um, so a good opponent. They they had beaten St. Cloud in both games earlier this season. So um, always tough on the road, especially against a ranked opponent. A couple of lineup notes before game one started. Uh, as we mentioned, Michael Harabble got the start. He, he performed pretty well against Michigan. Uh, so he gets his nod over Cole Brady in this one. Samuli Ninasari was under the weather last weekend against Michigan, and he's back for both of these games. And Cam O'Neill, we talked about the possibility of him maybe receiving some discipline for a pretty cheap hit that he took on a Michigan player at the end of last Saturday's game. Uh, He was in the lineup for both games, so it seems like there's nothing there. But uh, really good to get back, Ninasari, and uh, really good to see That seeing the confidence in the freshmen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, from what me and you were talking about last episode, not too surprising to see Rabble getting getting the starting nod. I mean, we both were pretty confident in that happening. I mean, I wasn't sure if he was going to get both games, but I mean, you know, he definitely, you know, as we'll talk about, he definitely got both games uh, this weekend, and he he killed it. But uh, I, I think having dinner, sorry, back in the line, huge. Like, I got super scared when I was reading up on tweets, you know, last weekend, and I was seeing some people were saying it wasn't injury-related, but, like, I guess kind of depending on your wording of it. Me and you had a little bit of a discussion on it. I totally count a sickness or like an illness as being an, you know, as being injured. So like that, I thought he was like a healthy scratch and it was like performance related. And I was like Carvey, are you going insane? Like, do you have eyeballs, man? But obviously, you know, he he had his reasons for being out and he was a super super, you know, welcome, you know, re addition to the lineup because I really thought, you know, we were missing a little bit of his. Defensive prowess
0: and kind of just overall defensive abilities against Michigan. So having him back is great. Yeah, he was an absolutely welcome sight. We'll we'll detail that a little bit more as we go along. But this game didn't start out great. It could have got real ugly for the Minutemen too. Um, within the first three minutes, um, uh, Lucas Vanderboys and Lucas Mercury both got penalties. Um, they were within a minute of, minute of each other. So uh, Minnesota State had over a minute of five on three power play time and umass uh as they did all weekend special teams penalty kill unit just did an absolutely fantastic job killing this one off uh the ice was definitely tilted in the minnesota state direction at the start of this game but a really strong hold here on the penalty kill and that was really the story of this weekend but uh game could have gone either way in those first few minutes and it was great to to get out the out the door with a good defensive effort there
1: yeah, I mean, just a preface overall, I mean, from my experience in this game, I wasn't able to watch it live, unfortunately. I was, I was at a comedy show. My buddies kind of did a little switcheroo on the scheduling. We were supposed to go on Thursday, and they said that we were going to go on Friday instead, so I couldn't watch this game live. But, yeah, from what I was reading online after the fact and, you know, what everybody, you know, was just kind of telling me, you know, because I was trying to get some details filled in. I mean, it was a pretty overall, you know, a rough start, you know, for UMass's time. But the the really, really good thing is being able to kind of push through. You know, like this is a team, especially with all kind of the overall discipline issues, just from from various folks on the team. You know, we we tend to take a lot of penalties. And if we're not able to kill them, we're basically shooting ourselves in the foot right off the right off the bat. So we didn't start off the best way, obviously, but being able to kill those and the spoiler alert, we ended up having, I think, a perfect 14 for 14 penalty kill on the weekend, which is absolutely nuts, you know, so being able to even just say that right now is an absolutely amazing blessing for the team and yeah this was just kind of the start of a really really strong penalty killing performance from the team this weekend
0: it was and it converted right away into some great momentum for umass not just a couple minutes later um you see a shot from the point from aaron bollinger and idar Suniev. he cleans it up in front for his first collegiate goal the first of many we're hoping uh first as a minute man so that was Great to get out of the gates with the first goal on the road here, and great to see Idar with his first as a minute man.
1: Not the way that I expected to to score it, I'll be honest. I was expecting him to either be in on, like, a breakaway and just nip it top shelf or do some crazy one-timing BS like I was expecting him to do. It looks like there was just kind of a lucky breakout in front. It looked like it might have went off the Minnesota State D-man, and he basically just had a wide-open net to just tuck it into, like, basically right on the doorstep. And, I mean, having that sort of nose around the front of the net is a super underrated skill. I feel like a lot of our players do have that because we have a we have a tendency to score some greasy goals at times. You know, not all of our goals are going to be highlight, you know, real top 10 sports center goals. So we'll take what we can get. And, you know, this might not be Sunyev's, uh signature goal per se. You know what I mean? I don't know how many more we're going to be seeing of this specific type because his shot and his just overall skillful, you know, presence out on the ice is insane. But, hey, we'll take what we can get. You know what I mean? It's not about you know, how you score him is how many. So very, very good way to start off this game, especially for his uh, collegiate career.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, we noticed that he might have been pressing a little bit in his first couple of college games. So uh, good to see him uh, get off the ice here and uh, get his first career goal. Um, it'll lead to more in this series, spoiler alert, but uh, we'll mm-hmm. get there soon. This period played out pretty evenly the rest of the way. Uh, shots were pretty equal towards the end of it. And uh, with less than a minute to go, UMass is on the power play. And we see just an absolutely beautiful pass from Scott Moore to Jack Musa, who has been a very welcome sight as a freshman here. Uh, we didn't have a ton of high expectations for him. We didn't know too much about him going in, but he has been an absolute pleasure to watch. He nips one to make it two nothing right before the end of the intermission, or right yeah, before the intermission.
1: yeah. And I mean, you you made a lot of that that goal description kind of be on on Musa. I mean, that was Scotty Morrow doing Scotty Morrow things in the uh, in the offensive zone. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that's just. What he does, that's where he specializes. You know, he is an offensive-minded defenseman through and through. He is able to, you know, have really, really soft hands and to kind of misdirect defensemen as much as humanly possible just to at least get the smallest gap possible to kind of thread the puck into. And he he, he tends to do that quite a bit. And that's not to discredit Muse's finish at all there. You know what I mean? He, he actually slapped one home, but he was basically wide open in the slot. You'd hope at that point, if you're a collegiate hockey player, you're able to put that one home. So, I mean great well-worked goal all around and yeah i mean going up to nothing right there right before the end of the first period you know it, it gives you a little bit of a cushion going in a locker room you know carby's probably feeling a lot better about the team and probably isn't going to rip into him a whole lot in between periods there you know he definitely uh is liking what he's seeing right about now
0: yeah it was a great start for the Miniman in that first uh bit of a different story in the second um this was a pretty scary period all things considered um and right away it started out um, just over a minute in, uh, you see Luke Wilson and Adam Isel for Minnesota State skate in. It was basically a two-on-two with Morrow and Inasari as the D-men. And Scott Morrow, uh, he, man, he just got caught watching. We saw that um, a good amount last year. A little disappointing to see it this time. Um, he just is watching the pass, not covering the extra guy. And Isel is able to put it home and make it 2-1. to And,
1: I mean, this is the type of goal. I mean, you you, you look at the box score, right? And you see Michael Farable give up three goals not really on her you know what i mean like that that's the thing that's really kind of hurt me a little bit like looking at his stats right now i think he's rocking after this weekend like a 933 save percentage just imagine how much better it would even be if we didn't have monumental defensive lapses like this you know what i mean like you, you take away the the third period goal from from the michigan series you know 30 seconds left six on four can't pin that on him and then you look at this one right here it's a two on one basically because one of your defensemen's kind of just lollygagging in the D zone, you know, like I think there's, there's definitely, you know, even more to be excited about for rabble here, you know, just because like, if you give him, you know, stout defense, you know, and in, in the entirety of the game, not just in very specific moments, I mean, he's going to do his job, you know, saving those, you know, standard standard saves, if that makes any sense, you know, if he doesn't have to, you know, take on two on ones out of nowhere. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really unfortunate, but just think—you know—things could even be just that much better. You know what I mean? And we and we have a really, really good goalie that, uh, you know, should be able to snuff out some of those things in the future.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the pressure really didn't lighten up after that. Um, just kind of all Minnesota State in terms of puck control and possession. Uh, and just a few minutes later, there's puck that was bouncing around in UMass's defensive zone. No, no UMass player could really get a stick on it. And Minnesota State takes advantage of, again, uh, Brandon Olsen. He's able to find the bouncing puck and stuff one home, make it two to two. So uh, momentum definitely shifted at this point in the game for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, having having the other team tie it up like that is never what you want, especially after you have, realistically, a, a pretty damn good first period, all things considered. So, I mean, for them to, you know, for us to kind of lose that momentum, Really is kind of a is kind of a kick to to the no no spot right there for you, Matt. So you know what I mean? It's just it's it's not what you want to see at all. You know, you really once you go up two nothing, they always say you know the the two goal leads the most dangerous lead in hockey. Like I get that, but like uh, I I hate that like that cliche comes true so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because you f- you figure that you're feeling good, you know, you're feeling good about your team's chances being up two nothing, and then to have it get ripped away from you in fairly quick fashion, you know, just it really really sucks to see.
0: Yeah, and uh, one thing that we have seen from UMass this season that has been really good, um, a welcome surprise, is they've been able to answer back pretty well um, to a lot of goals they've given up. And we see less than a minute later, uh, Scott Moore and Ryan Lautenbach, they're in on a two-on-two rush uh, towards the goal. Really nice pass again from Scott Moore to Lautenbach, and he puts it top shelf, really pretty shot there uh, off the pass to take the lead back again less than a minute later.
1: Dude, you remember remember a couple seasons ago when we had uh john franco Casero. i know this is a completely different but i'm getting somewhere with this trust me yeah remember, remember when he like we had a couple of really bad injuries and we had him playing wing at one point even though he's naturally a defenseman mm-hmm. i think we should genuinely do that exact same thing with scott Moore. <laughs> like <laughs> this kid is so offensively like talented it's absolutely ridiculous like you know, I just, I genuinely feel that just, you know, he's able to do so many great things with the puck. Let him have the puck more. You know what I mean? Slap in a couple more Ninasari from the back end, and we'll have a couple more Scotty Morrow's up front. I think we'd be having a freaking Natty in no time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. I mean, that's just the type of thing that Morrow does. I mean, it feels like we have this type of conversation every episode. Like, we talk about, oh yeah, this dude got three points this game, all assists, and then you're like, Oh, well, he also, you know, had a couple defensive laps, and you're just like, God damn it, Morrow. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall every single series, but you gotta take the good with the bad, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. not everybody's gonna be a perfect player. And you know, for for you know, sometimes we'll get some defensive lapses, sometimes they lead to goals, sometimes they don't. If he's out here doing his crazy stuff on the offensive zone, like he's doing. It, it more often than not will lead to a goal. So I feel like it kind of balances itself out over time a little bit.
0: Yeah, and it's it's funny you bring that up because just a couple minutes later in this game, um, the same same couple guys, you see Moro and Ninisari defending a, a two-on-two rush, again, from Adam Eisel and Luke Wilson. Um, and once again, Morrow gets caught in no man's land watching the puck. Uh, is not covering his guy, and Luke Wilson's able to to take the pass, the cross, cross-tree's pass, and put it in. Uh, to immediately tie the game back up at three.
1: All right, so this one, I mean, I admittedly didn't see this live, so I'm asking you this question in, in full sincerity. Do you do you feel like Ninosari could have played it better in this play? Because in a lot of cases, like, we look at Ninosari as this kind of shutdown defenseman, you know what I mean? And his his one of his primary roles is going to be able to cover this type of stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the coaching staff understands that there's going to be defensive lapses from Moro. and if we're trying to, you know, defend that as much as humanly possible, when, could could you put – at least semi-equal blame on either defenseman there, or was it really just Ninosari's just kind of stuck in a crappy situation. There's nothing he can do. Um maybe
0: maybe you could say Ninasari could have a bit better effort in uh getting uh more of a forecheck in on his guy. I mean um his guy who was Adam cell at the time. Um he probably could have stepped up a little bit try to get a poke check, but uh mm-hmm. it seemed pretty quick that Isel got a pass off to to Wilson. Um, with Morrow kind of just being in the middle of the ice there instead of covering Wilson, so um, I would put more of the blame here on Scott Morrow. But um, like maybe maybe I'm not a coach. I'm not totally yeah, of uh, course, totally of sure course. On the X and O's there. Maybe maybe there's something I'm not seeing. I could be wrong there, but it did look like uh, look like it was Morrow again, which was unfortunate to see.
1: Yeah. I feel, I feel like I preface most of my explanations on this type of stuff with, I'm not a coach. I'm not a, a hyper genius when it comes to, you know, defensive plays and yeah. uh, the game of hockey. But I mean, I feel like I've watched enough to kind of get a rough idea. You know what I mean? Like, and especially watching these players play, you know, game in game out, you kind of know what they're able to do on the ice. You know what I mean? So I feel like when we do have these lapses like that, we can genuinely call them lapses and not just say like, Oh, you know, he's not fast enough to get back or something like that. Like, We've seen what these players can do a lot of the times. And I feel like if they put in, you know, the full hundred and ten percent, they're making the play there. So it is what it is. I mean, it's it's never the ideal scenario when you when you let in another goal like that, but you gotta just kind of put your put your head to the to the to the ice and just kind of you know move on from it. And it's kind of what we did. You know what I mean? We 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 ended up uh doing some good things after this one.
0: Yeah, and it's it's pretty wild seeing two. Incredible assists out of Moro and two defensive lapses like this. And it's only the second period of a game. So uh the good and the bad. There we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more after. Um late in the period, about a minute left. UMass is killing a penalty. They were doing a lot of that in this series. Uh kill another penalty. And Lucas Mercury and Ryan Lautenbach find themselves in on a two-on-one off of a turnover. Just an absolute beauty of a pass from Mercury to Lautenbach who puts home his second goal of the period, take the lead going into the intermission. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, we finally have a
1: little bit of a, of a video for me to go off of in this one. And holy crap, man. I mean, that's, that's a really, I mean, really, really solid pass there for Mercury. He kind of pulls the puck back onto his forehand to kind of bait the defenseman over to kind of free up a little space. And Lautenbach, as he always does, man, this kid knows how to find the soft spots. You know, he is very, very, I I hate bringing up Trevino because he's such a freaking special talent, but like that was what what Bobby did a lot was kind of finding those kind of soft spots to be able to just find a little bit of space. Because I mean, Lautenbach's not the biggest guy ever, right? You know what I mean? He doesn't he doesn't really need a lot of space to take advantage of because it's not like he has this massive frame where he has to you know fit his body into it. He can find those little tiny spots and he just breaks free from the defenseman there and is literally wide open out in front. I wouldn't even call it like the coolest shot of all time he literally just kind of deflects it in and you know he was just wide open so really really good skating on display here because that's something that i think i've noticed a lot in this season is we're a much faster team you know we we definitely are playing with a lot more speed and a lot more just get it to the net you know what i mean we're not sitting here trying to make 17 passes to get that wide open shot all the time we just got to play direct you know get the puck into that weird danger area in front of the crease and good things are going to happen, and that was exactly what happened on this play.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think it's pretty telling. Um, little spoiler: uh, Ryan Lautenback had two goals just in this period alone, um, two goals in the game. He really wasn't even a consideration for us in our awards coming up for the series. So uh, mm-hmm. it kind of just shows you how well the team played this weekend. But uh, I, I figured we'd just give a little props to Lautenbach with uh, his stellar play. It wasn't just offensively either; that guy's a uh, playing with a like a chicken with his head cut off on the defensive end sometimes too. So he's really fun to watch as always.
1: Dude, I feel like that's going to be like his permanent nickname for us. And so I think ever since, what was that two, well, basically a year and a half ago, I think that was like one of the first custom awards we ever gave out on the yeah. podcast. Like that was like, I was like, I'm giving this one to Ryan. He deserves it. And I feel like that's just been going through my head ever since. Cause that, that's just what he is to me. You know what I mean? He just 110% energy all the time doesn't matter if you're freaking five foot six or six foot five you're going to be freaking getting four checked by this kid and he's going to be hitting you he's going to be skating at you full speed like a literal superhuman freak you know what I mean? it just it doesn't matter and that's that's what i love about his game and you know it's a classic case you get what you deserve you play hard you play fast you're going to get rewarded with a goal and hell he got two of them you know what i mean that's that's freaking awesome
0: yeah he he's always bringing it up. i feel like we've never even once had to consider him for a good try award he's just solid day in day out effort guys. so really good to see good to see him get two goals there
1: and the last thing I was going to mention before we move on I don't even know if we if we mentioned I might have completely missed you saying it it was a freaking shorty it was a short-handed yeah. goal you know what I yeah. mean like if we want to talk about the penalty kill and the overall special teams being absolutely monsters you know so far especially in this series if you get a freaking shorthanded goal bro that's probably the biggest compliment you can get as a penalty killer you know, our, our special teams, I know Vanderboys is out there a lot. I know Mercury's out there a lot and Lautenbach's there a lot. I don't know who usually plays with uh with Vanderboys. I think that's the first-line first, pa- first line penalty kill. I'm blanking on it right now. It might be Gorman. I don't remember. Don't quote me on it. But those those forward lines have been absolute freaking menace so far. And for us to get a freaking shorthanded goal on top of a perfect 14-for-14 14 14 penalty kill on the weekend that, that's the icing on the cake right there. I feel like we didn't we, – we had to – they can't be overstated enough. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Minnesota State, 14 power plays, and UMass scored more goals than them on those yeah. power plays. so <laughs> literally. Absolutely insane stat right there. Uh, did we take this one to the third, four to three? And we haven't been able to say this for a while, but how about that them th- that third period minute men? Like, they mm-hmm. absolutely showed out. In the third period of this game dominating control dominating shots dominating possession um didn't pay off for a little bit until about halfway through the third they were on the power play and lucas mercury he he tips home a pass slash shot from kolo hara um i i yelled out a good he, you get what you deserve after that one because mercury had been playing well all game he gets a goal and uh this was a really really big insurance goal to make it five three
1: yeah, I mean that's freaking huge, dude. Like he he has been a very, very underrated player so far in the beginning of the season. Like he kind of flew under the radar for us as like a most improved player candidate, just because I don't know, like I feel like his style of play doesn't really, in my opinion, like just pop out on the page to somebody. You know what I mean? Like we're usually if you're thinking of like a most improved guy, you know, you're looking at goals, assists, all that, all that fun stuff. He Lucas Mercury has been kind of the epitome for me so far in his collegiate career as, like, doing the little things. You know, he forechecks very well. He plays very well, you know, lower along the boards, behind the net. He's just a very big, imposing figure on the ice. And, you know, for the for the layman, for the for the casual hockey fan, it's probably not the most, you know, honorable, crazy, cool thing because everybody's trying to see crazy dangles and freaking, you know, nipping Geno's wheel snipe Selly type stuff. And, you know, that's not his game, and it doesn't have to be his game. Every good player, every good team has that type of player. You know, we've had that from, you know, Anthony Delgado, And now, you know, you pass the torch off to somebody like Mercury and even guys like Vanderbilt boys. That's freaking huge for a team. You've got to have big, mean, like mean, nasty bastards on the team. You know what I mean? And that that's what he is. So I, I I've wholeheartedly enjoyed, you know, his play so far this season because I think last season, you know, he took a couple dumb penalties. He was a little bit. You know silly with with his physicality at times and i feel like he's cleaned it up quite a bit and he's you know really matured as a hockey player i feel like this season and it's starting to pay dividends for both him and the team
0: yeah it's it's been great to watch uh especially the size on this team as a whole it's been really mm-hmm. good to see um and not to be outdone on this goal Cole hara he had the assist and then he gets himself another point less than a minute later it was a michael cameron shot from the blue line O'Hara with a really nice tip-in. They they reviewed it for a high stick. It wasn't even close. It was just a a desperation challenge at that point. That put the game away. UMass took the lead 6-3, to and they absolutely coasted the rest of the third period, and that was our final score. So absolutely phenomenal win for the boys on the road on Friday night.
1: You love to see that. I mean, especially with with Cole O'Hara kind of getting the icing on the the cake there. You know, I think for me, Cole O'Hara was my pick for most improved player admittedly started the season off a little, a little slow. You know what I mean? That That's going to happen. Not everybody's going to go off and start being a point per game guy immediately like Jack Musa. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Jack Musa is just on a different level right now, but I'm pretty sure those were 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 Cole's first two points of the season right now. But I think this could be the start of something really good. You know what I mean? It's going to take a little bit, you know, he might have to, you know, get back into the swing of things a little bit, but, you know, I just feel like there's so much freaking talent on this team now I don't think that there's enough points to go around if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like our third line has been basically our best scoring line so far. And that's, you know, like we've been scoring like you wouldn't believe. Like we're, we're I think we're averaging somewhere around like four and a half goals a game or something like that. I could do the legit math on it later, but it's something around that because we've had games where we're scoring, you know, five, six goals and that's unprecedented, especially with our scoring woes was from last season, like you know, we're basically with Jack Musa having eight points and, in, in you know, in five games over a point per game easily. I think that's what 1.6 a game. That's freaking nuts. You know, I think, let me look back to last season. Cause I already got a prospects pulled up. We didn't have a single guy over, over a point per game. We had, we had Scott Moore with 31 points in 35 games. So if, if Musa can keep up on that, you know, granted, if he keeps up on that, you know, sort of, you know, scoring streak, he's probably a freaking Hob- Hobie Baker candidate as a freshman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little unsustainable. Let's be real here. I mean, I hope to God that he keeps it up. That'd be freaking awesome. But if we're being realistic here, I don't know how much longer, you know, that insane point per game pace is going to last for. Him. But yeah, that I know I went off on a little tangent there, but point was is that Cole Hart had a little bit of a slow start but I think this could be the start of something really, really good, you know, because he looked really, really good in this game and honestly in game two as well.
0: Yeah, and you'd love to see it. Uh, any more production from him is obviously very welcomed and will help the team. A couple more notes to wrap up this game. Uh, I'll throw a couple out there and let you just comment on on what you see fit. Mm-hmm. UMass, 20 block shots. Great to see. Uh, Michael Harabal, 28 saves, three goals allowed, um, and it honestly looked a lot better than the stats even say. And then this one, um, this is a really surprising stat to me. Uh, Lucas Vanderboys and Liam Gorman, a combined 21 and seven on faceoffs. So, yeah, um, some really good production in faceoff, shot blocking, and goaltending in this game. It was really great to see.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that was exactly what we expected out of the, uh, because I really want to touch upon that faceoff point because I was hoping Mm -hmm. that you would bring it up. If you didn't, I was going to, because as you know, I've always harped on on this podcast, if you, you know, if we got some loyal listeners here, they're going to know what I'm probably going to say. We love getting puck possession in the offensive zone, and that stems from really good faceoff play. We knew going into this offseason that we needed really, really good faceoff guys, and we knew that that was exactly what Liam Gorman and Lucas Vammer Boys were going to bring to this team. You know, like, they were very, very, you know, highly regarded. I don't want to say face-off specialists because they have much more to their game than just face-off taking, but that is, you know, one of their really, really big skills that they bring to the table. And the fact that we were able to utilize that, because, you know, if we have the puck, that means that the other team doesn't have the puck. If they don't have the puck. They can't score. So it's one of those cases where, like, having a really effective offense is also a very effective defense. And I think we we employed that very, very well, at least in this game one, you know, because we were just absolutely killing them in the face-off dot. And I think that really allows us to play the style of game that we want to play and really wear them down to their own offensive zone, which I think, in theory, would help us in the third period because the other teams would be really tired from just – sitting there, you know, chasing us around their, their, their own zone for, you know, minutes on end. So I really do think that that will help us be a much better third period team because we'll be a lot fresher and they will be a lot more tired.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it'll pay great dividends as we go along especially because UMass uh, over the years has been so productive in that half ice play. Um, not really an on the rush team historically. So you're winning face offs in the offensive zone, being able to set up and slow, slow things down. Um, I think it's huge. 100 percent all right let's uh let's move on to game two a couple couple lineup notes before this one uh, it's been the long-awaited arrival of Dan's Melis lush Melis sorry uh, <laughs> he is a pick for the Bruins UMass's first ever Bruins draft pick I believe um, he slid in as the center of the third line Um, Vanderboys is in that spot before he got moved down to the fourth line and then uh Gorman was the center of the fourth line before so he he bumps over to left wing. Another note, uh, Owen Murray got banged up. I'm not exactly sure what happened in game one. So uh, Elliot McDermott slid up to the top D-line with Ufko, Um and Sebastian Sebastian Thornquist was the extra skater. So a couple little notes. Also, uh, Michael, Michael Hrabble, uh unshockingly gets the start again. <laughs> um, he looked really good. So just a, just a few changes going into this one.
1: Yeah, and they're all fair changes. Cause, I mean, I'm pretty sure, like I'm not sure if you could said it. I mean, I'm already blank in Jesus Christ. It's just how this podcast is going right now. But yeah, Owen Murray was injured, so that's why, you know, we have uh McDermott coming back into the fold and uh I still think that's a really really solid, you know, defensive lineup there. You know, I you know, I I'm fairly confident in in Touring in the, you know, the little that I've seen from him so far. It's, it I feel like, you know, our defensive depth is something that is very very solid this season that i'm not sure if i could have said the exact same thing last season you know considering both injuries and just kind of overall i don't know i just feel like lack of skill you know like a, you know a good a good amount of our defensemen last season have moved on to new programs and i feel like the guys that we brought in are just a little bit better you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's not to disparage anybody i'm obviously extremely happy to whoever graces our program with their presence obviously but i think if we're just looking at it this objectively I think we have a very, very good defensive group this year. So, I mean, if somebody does unfortunately go down due to injury, I, I can fully believe in that sort of next man up mentality because I, I think we really do have the quality that whoever steps out on the ice is going to be putting in a really, really good shift for us.
0: Yeah, and uh, hopefully we could say the same about Dan's Lushmellis. Uh mm-hmm. He's probably new um, to a lot of the people listening and a lot of the people watching. Uh, he's wearing number 10 this year. Saturday was his first game. Maybe you can give a little uh little expectation what UMass fans oh, can yeah. expect to see from Los Melis.
1: Yeah, no, but easily. So I mean, this kid, I mean, if you guys if any I would suggest if you want the full, full thing, check out our our. I don't even remember the name of the episode, but we had like a whole preview of all the newcomers basically. Um, and that was a really, really in depth good episode. But to give you kind of the long and short of it, he is very good in the face off dot. He's a very skilled player. But his thing is, is that he kind of prides himself on having a really, really good two-way game. Like he can back check like it's nobody's business. He's a very effective skater. He basically has everything that you know you would want in an, in a in a young freshman player who's a fourth-round pick. You know, the only major issue with him right now, and I'm not even sure if I'd say major, but he's just a bit small. You know what I mean? He's not the biggest kid right now. He has to adapt to playing against you know, 23, 24 year olds, like he played two games in the SHL, which is the Swedish professional league. And that was why he had to wait a couple of games until he could play for UMass. Anyway, It's a whole NCAA eligibility thing. But yeah, as of right now, I mean, and you know, that's what we've heard from, I'm pretty sure um Carvey said it on our interview with him as well. Like he's, he's still a little bit small. He has to bulk up a little bit, kind of fill out his frame a little bit more, but from everything that we've seen from him, you know, before this season at both, you know, a junior level, and in, in, uh, I can't speak right now in international level, because he played for the Latvian team and I believe it was the world juniors. And he basically shocked the world with that, with that Latvia team, they completely overperformed, you know, expectations. And he was a really big part of that. So yeah, he, he can do it on multiple stages. And I think the NCAA is just going to be one more stage that he can really shine on before he eventually most likely moves on to the Boston Bruins.
0: Yeah. And it's uh. Great to see him out on the ice. He didn't play a factor too much into this second game, but uh, we think he definitely will down the line this season. Should be a, a good presence on the UMass offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, Thuniev didn't really light the world on fire in mm-hmm. his debut either, and then we see him. He gets freaking two goals, you know, a couple series later. So, I mean, it's going to, you know, there's always that little bit of an adjustment period. I feel like Musa's kind of the, uh, the, the outlier here where he's just absolutely killing it, you know, right mm-hmm. from the very beginning. The golden like, Goose. Exactly. But I mean the, the normal kind of way of developing means, you know, you kinda you take a little bit to kind of get your feet out under you. You kinda feel out the games a little bit, you feel out the league, and then, you know, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. I'm telling you, you know, I'm not maybe maybe not this BU series, but I'd say give it a couple more weekends. You know, this kid's really gonna be, you know, developing chemistry, especially in game time situations. You're gonna be a special
0: player to watch and he's gonna be extremely fun. Absolutely. Um, another guy that's going to be extremely fun and already is Michael Harabal. Um, It's great to see him get the start. And at the start of this game, he was he was challenged quite a bit. Um, admittedly, Minnesota State came out firing uh, in this game. Obviously, they had lost at home the previous night trying to get back. Uh, but Hrabble looked really good. Uh, I think this game is not going to take as long for us to go through it because uh, there, there wasn't nearly as many goals. So, uh, yeah, the, the story of this game really was the penalties. UMass in total had eight of them called on them in three periods, which is just absurd. We uh, personally thought a good bit of those were uh, not really fair to call a um, little, little home ice advantage there for, for Minnesota state. So, um, and it happened quickly. Uh, there was a too many, too many men penalty five minutes in uh, Vander boys had a slashing call in the first seven minutes, I believe. And Minnesota state really just kind of dominating pressure, uh, throughout this entire first period. Yeah,
1: I mean, they—they, I don't know what kind of changed in between the two games. I don't know if it was just we were feeling a bit tired from the night before because we put in a really, really good performance the night before. And, you know, obviously with, you know, travel and and all that fun stuff, there could be a lot of different factors into, you know, playing from game one to game two. But, yeah, like you said, we were getting hemmed in our own zone quite a bit. We just – we couldn't really get a nice clean clear. And if we ever did get a good clear that wasn't an icing – it was basically just to get a change in, you know what I mean? It was very tough to kind of, you know, corral the puck and get a solid rush and hopefully get some zone time. in on the other end of the ice to give both, you know, the skaters, but also Michael Hrabble a break, you know what I mean? Like that mm. was kind of one of the big things that I was nervous about, you know, and at this point I look like a dumbass, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll hold my hands up and I'll say it. I screwed up. I thought, you know, I wasn't sure if he'd be able to, you know, handle NCAA back to backs, you know, with all this crazy stuff. I, I screwed up I'm stupid I get it you know what I mean I knew I knew that Hrabble was him but I didn't know just how much he was him you know like I feel like there's tears of being him and he is the himmest of him if that makes <laughs> sense like he's just he, he's he's just a different level and you know he he showed that in this game like he was getting all different sorts of shots thrown his way. It didn't matter. He just was able to get post to post. He was just using his big frame to just smother up pucks. Yeah, every now and then he might have a rebound control lapse. You know, kid's st- still super young. You know what I mean? He's not going to be perfect. If you were expecting perfection in your third ever NCAA you know hockey game, you're you're expecting hopes and dreams. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a freaking beachfront property to sell you somewhere. Like it's just it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So for him to do as well as he's been doing so far has been an absolute dream. It's, he's been just upper echelon so far, and I can't wait to see what else he has in store.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he's able to keep this game at no score at the end of the first. Uh, we go into the second. UMass, uh, they get a power play um, in five minutes into the second period. Immediately gets nullified by a Scott Morrow penalty. They called high stick uh, when a guy was on his knees in stick territory. We were pretty upset with that call. So that one gets gets nullified. Uh, UMass goes to the power play again about halfway through the period, and uh, they finally take advantage. Aaron Bollinger with a pass to Idar Suniev. Uh, he absolutely rears back on this one. As Evan very much likes to say, absolute piss missile from the kid from the blue line. I didn't think he had this kind of power in him. I would probably say this was the fastest slap shot I've seen from a UMass player since that Kale one timer in the ncaa tournament in 2019 if any of you guys remember that one so uh an absolute howitzer there from suniev it was incredible i tried to tell y'all i really did i tried to tell y'all
1: he launched an absolute his missile from the point there and it was it was beautiful like genuinely i i knew that he had that borderline NHL ready shot, you know what I mean? And he, and he showed it off at, at various points, especially in the last series against Michigan, he had a couple of just wide open power play looks in this case. It was a little different though, because I noticed in the Michigan series, he would line up more along the face off dot as kind of like, like the, like the, like the winger forward type guy. Whereas in this case, it was basically right off the draw. And we just, you know, passed it, you know, just cycled it over to the, to the next guy along the blue line. And he just absolutely rocketed one. I don't know if it was the fact that he was farther away from the net. I don't know what it is, but a lot of those shots from, you know, from the last series were going over the net. You could, you could tell he looked a little bit nervous. You know, he just was kind of just whacking at it, trying to get something on net. This one, he struck it true. Like it was a pinpoint, beautiful rocket from the point right there and didn't catch anybody. I think there was a bit of a screen out in front as a power play would. It was just everything lined up perfectly. And, Spoiler alert, that ends up being what we needed to to see out the game. You know what I mean? Like, the game of such fine margins and the fact that we were able to just get one goal going our way and then we just locked it up on the other end, that's all you need, and I I love to see it. Like, the the crazy thing about the power plays that I just want to mention is I don't know if we'll be able to. We didn't have a single power play in this game that lasted the full two minutes. Mm. Every single power play that we had was nullified by another penalty during our power play, which is like – I don't know. It seems a bit fishy because it's like how many times do do teams really commit penalties on their own power play? Because usually mm-hmm. if you're committing a penalty, right, it's because, you know, you're trying to stop like a two on one goal in the other way or something like that. Like you're really trying to stop a high danger scoring chance. I mean, unless you're Minnesota State and you want to let in shorthanded goals. I mean, you're usually not letting in any sort of major, you know, major high high danger chances on a power play. So it was super weird. I don't want to blame the refs too much because I'm not usually that type of person. I don't want to seem biased, but it was just super fishy in this game. And it was, I don't know. I didn't really like it.
0: Yeah, it definitely was. Um, and you mentioned that uh, this would end up being the game-winning goal, but that's not to th- say things definitely didn't get yeah. hairy in yeah, this game. Uh, sure. just, just two minutes after the goal, um, we see Liam Gorman with a really stupid hit. Um, hits a guy right in the head um uh, on, a, on a check definitely deserving of a 5 minute major in my opinion and uh very very odd situation that played out on the ice because the refs called a 2 minute penalty uh they obviously go take a look to try to review it um play stopped for a good 7 or 8 minutes they come back out on the ice and say they weren't able to review the v- the re- the video replay was not working and that the call on the ice stands and then they say that we have a 5 minute major so they called a 2 minute penalty on the ice they come back and say to call stands, and we have a five-minute major. Um, so uh, they get it right in the end. It sh- should have been a five-minute penalty, but just what's going on and and with those referees? That was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen watching college hockey.
1: I just don't know, man. I'll be honest with you. Like I, as we speak, I'm trying to take a look at the <laughs> at the rule book because I should have done this before Because I, quite frankly, am dumbfounded like i don't understand how you can say that a call stands right mm-hmm. and then you have nothing to review it like you have no way of actually reviewing it because apparently the the video review is just dead you know what i mean how do you say that the call stands but then you reverse the call you know like i mean you didn't reverse the call because you're still calling the penalty but you can't like if you're challenging for the five minute major I feel like if you're not able to review it, you should just stick to the call that you already had. Like the call on the ice should stand. Cause isn't that how a goal usually goes? If, yes. if, you, if you have a, a goal called on the ice, right. And, and the other team is like, no, we don't think it went in. If you, if you're looking at the video review and the call is inconclusive, if there is no, you know, un, un, irrevocable, 100% proof that the the puck didn't go in, you have to stick with your initial call because you don't have conclusive evidence of the opposite that you're challenging for. Mm. So I don't know. I I don't know if there's just something that I'm missing because I remember, I think last year or a year ago or a year before that, I was asking one of the refs in the tunnel, I was asking Jeremy Tufts (laughs) about a certain call that he made because I was sitting near the tunnel at that point. And he kindly explained for me to check the rule book. And when I checked it, he ended up being 100% right. So, you know, I'm not one that could completely doubt the referees because normally they know their stuff, but this one just seems like it goes against all common logic. And, you know, it's not a case of like this weird abstract rule. It's a case of just completely doing a 180 on the normal procedure of a goal review or a penalty review. It just, it seems really odd to me. So, I, like I said, I'm I'm looking into it. And maybe I might just randomly interrupt you throughout the rest of this podcast if I find something. But, yeah, it was a super, super weird kind of scenario. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't going to be a five-minute major because it was a really weird hit. You know what I mean? I It, it wasn't the best hit of all time. so. I understand how you could get to that, but I feel like the way that they got to that was just super odd. I don't know.
0: It was. And uh, good thing, though, uh, UMass killed off a penalty for five minutes. They held really strong. Uh, As the saying goes, puck don't lie. So uh, ended up not hurting the Minutemen. Could have been real hairy in a one-goal game, but they were able to strongly kill this one off and go into the second second intermission with a lead. So uh, really strong defensive play up until this point.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: All right. So uh, we move on to the third, and uh, it it stayed hairy in this one. Um, It was definitely pretty tense to watch. Um, UMass had four penalties in this period. It almost felt like they were killing off a penalty for the entire period. Um, Really not fun. Some of the calls were all right. Some of the calls just um, definitely didn't seem like penalties. Minnesota State only had one call in this period, which was a genuine choke slam. Uh, by Lucas Schoder, so, uh, or Soder, so Soder, um, so definitely some weird officiating here. But like I said, UMass defense uh, and special teams this weekend just absolutely phenomenal. This closes out an 0 for fourteen stint for Minnesota State on their power play over the weekend. So just incredible stuff there from penalty killers on UMass.
1: Yeah, I mean there was. <laughs> Do you remember the exact number of shot blocks that that, that there were? I mean, it, it was something – I want to say it was in the high 20s. I want to say it was like 28, in the, in the
0: game, they had 28. That's like – dude, you know what I mean?
1: Like, that's unheard of. I remember seeing a tweet. I want to say it was from like Nathan Strauss or like Andrew Golden or somebody, really good student reporter, shouting them out real quick. Um. Well, obviously Strauss isn't a student, but you get the idea. Um. I forget, I think, I want to say that the overall shot attempts was like 75 to like 39 in favor of Minnesota State or something like that. If you're getting out shot attempted that much and you allow zero goals, you know what I mean? And 28 of those attempts were blocked. That's freaking insane. Like Samuli Ninosari had seven of them just in that second game alone. I think he ended up finishing the whole weekend with 11 block shots. That's what we were missing in the Michigan series. You know what I mean? Like if we had him out there, who knows how many how many shot blocks he could have had? Like, that's his game. We haven't seen that in quite a while, just that overall level. You know, like, Bollinger was doing, I'd say, similar stuff. I think he had seven shot blocks over the course of, you know, the entire weekend. Not in one game, but across two games. That's damn respectable. So, I mean, I just feel like our, our defensive presence has been absolutely monumental. You know, and that's, and that's not to discredit Hrabel's performance. I mean, even for the 30 shots that still trickled through at the end of the day, he saved all 30 of them. You know what I mean? Like that—that's just an absolutely amazing effort, especially to win. You know, two games against the same opponent in two completely different fashions. Like, it's—it's just—it's really, really great to see.
0: It is, and, and this game is weird because it ends up looking like one of one of our Chell games with uh, a <laughs> Minnesota State doubling UMass in shots, but UMass yeah. still getting the win. I don't think that tells the whole picture of this game. I think UMass uh, had some really ticky-tacky calls on them. Uh, they were on the penalty kill a lot, and I don't think it was totally their fault. And they just played really strong defensively. And I think that has to lead us into a conversation about Michael Hrabel, dude, because, wow, like a shutout in his first in his third career college game. He looked absolutely fantastic in that. he we were, we were talking, watching the game together. If you were to just turn on this game, you would never know this guy's a freshman. He's so big in that. And it was absolutely huge. And we had this conversation last weekend. I don't even think it's a conversation of anymore. He's our guy going forward. I think he has to get the net for yeah, no. the vast majority of the games the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt in my mind that he is him. You know what I mean? and, and the good thing is that all it really does is just confirm what we've been told before. Like Carvey on in our, in our interview with him was singing very high praises of him early on. You know what I mean? He was like he's a very level-headed kid. He has tremendous poise. And we saw that on full display. You know, in a lot of cases, if you have a a younger goalie who, you know, has that sort of, you know, reflexive ability, they tend to kind of use it and, you know, they'll make those crazy flashy saves, you know, amazing, you know, just windmill glove stops and stuff like this. They're going to look like superstars. We haven't seen that out of Ravel because we don't have to, you know what I mean? He reminds me a whole lot of like, you know, really good goalies from our past, you know, like, like a Matt Murray or a Lindbergh, but like even more elevated. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not to discredit, you know, guys like Murray or Lindbergh, but I just think Rabble's just that dude, you know, like he, you know, I remember you posted a clip on the high character account, I think last weekend of the Michigan series, he mm-hmm. was going post to post without even pushing off the post. You know what I mean? Like just being able to do that, just with that sort of athleticism, like he is an extremely gifted athlete that also has just unreal flexibility and very good reflexes and just, you know, the frame is a blessing in itself, but I think if this kid was 6'2", it wouldn't matter. That's just how good of a attendee he is. You know what I mean? He would have been making those saves regardless. I think the, the height and the size is just an added bonus.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, I don't know if you have any anything else on this game, but I think that can lead us right into our awards if you're ready.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to double check. I, I found the ejection of student athlete section of the rule book, <laughs> and I'm literally, I'm trying to read because. It says that officials may only use this procedure when a major penalty is being considered, which is what happened. So that's fair. Yep. Step two, on-ice officials will notify coaches before starting the review. That's irrelevant. That's fine. They probably told the coaches. Okay, cool. Three, officials have three penalty options when the game has been stopped for a, for a penalty in these situations. Major or minor, or minor penalty only. Major in game misconduct or major in disqualification, which I thought a game misconduct and a disqualification were the same thing. Mm-hmm. But – whatever, and it basically says they're allowed to review a possible infraction that was not observed during play, which I guess they didn't observe it because they call a minor instead of a major, so that seems fine. But it says, should the officials determine the infraction to be less than a major penalty, officials may not assess this penalty by video review. However, if the officials determine that a major penalty, major and game misconduct or disqualification has occurred, those penalties may be enforced under this rule. It doesn't say anything about, you know, if if your video review system is not functional, then <laughs> I, it does like I just don't understand how they're able to make that. You know, like they basically revoke the minor penalty to then assess a major penalty without the video review. I thought you have to use the video review. You can't just make up the the new the new penalty out of thin air. You know what I mean? Don't you have to go with the original call?
0: You would think there's maybe the possibility that they got together and decided on a major penalty on the ice, but I, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like they
1: didn't communicate that though, because then they said after video review, which spoiler didn't actually officially happen. (laughs) Then they said that they, that they said, you know, it's a major penalty. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much because I don't want to put a damper on a great weekend and a great win, but I'm very perplexed. And I'm hoping if there's anybody out there that listens, who's like an expert in like the NCAA collegiate hockey rule book, by all means, humble me and call me an idiot because I want to learn. You know what I mean? I, I want to know what the hell happened here because I just don't know. But yeah, on that was... note, we can get <laughs> into, the, into, into the awards.
0: Yeah, it was one of the weirder things we've ever seen watching college hockey, but UMass killed it off strong. So who who cares at the end of the day? Of course. Of course. But, uh, yeah, let's move on to awards. The first one that we like to give out is CCC Carvel's Character and Compete Award. And uh, I kind of already gave this one away saying it's a good time to move into awards. It's Michael Hrabble. I mean, a shutout in his third career game. He just looks absolutely poised in net. Just unbelievable saves. Just uh, the presence is incredible. I mean, there's not many words left to describe him. You already did a lot, I know. But uh, I think this is an easy CCC for us on the weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you take into account the context of just who he is and how much he's played so far, and just, you know, even if you want to throw that context out the window and say, I want to look at this as objectively as possible, and this should go to the to the best performing guy, regardless of context, well, guess what? He's going to win the freaking award anyway. Like, you get a 30-save shutout, dude. You're putting yourself in a really, really good spot to get yourself an award on high character. Simple as that. You know, he, he has been, you know, the goaltender that we've needed so far. You know, I mean, we are getting the goal support. We are doing very well on the offensive side of the, of the puck. We're doing, you know, very decently on the defensive side of the puck, especially when you count in 28-block shots, you know. We can't block them all, unfortunately. But, you know, Frable was seeing a mix of shots. He was seeing some high-danger looks. He was seeing some low-danger looks. He was stopping most of them regardless of the danger. And that's all you can really ask. You know, if you're getting a straight-up cross-creaser, in in basically all the games that I've seen out of Frable so far, almost every single goal that he's let up has been essentially – either a fourth rebound attempt that hasn't been cleared away by a defenseman or a straight-up cross creaser that, I mean, even even with his massive frame, he's not going to have the best of chances on every single time. You know what I mean? That's probably the most high-danger chance in hockey. If he's making that save, it's a goddamn miracle. So if he doesn't make the save, it is what it is. And he's, he's looked absolutely phenomenal. In basically, you know, every aspect of his game so far. I can't find a weak point. <laughs> Maybe rebound control, but that can be worked on with time.
0: Yeah, and I would say definitely expect to see him Friday night at BU. Should be should be a pretty fun experience. Yeah, I can't think of when
1: we're gonna see another goalie for the foreseeable future, I'll be yeah. honest with you. And that's no slight to them either. It's just I mean,
0: you're, if you gotta ride the hot hand, you're gonna ride the hot hand. Absolutely. All right, let's move into our next award. It is the good try UMass award, some guy that we uh think it can do a little bit better next time out on the ice and it's kind of hard to find one when you have a road sweep going to minnesota state um against their ranked team um kind of kind of picking at straws a little bit but felt like it was kind of easy on this one umass only gave up three goals on the weekend and we feel kind of pretty strongly that scott morrow was kind of the reason or part of the reason for two of those goals um like we said it's it's insane because he had 3 points and two like absolutely beautiful assists in that first game but then twice in the second period he kind of lost his man on the 2 on 2 rush up ice so um offensively absolutely insane defensively he gets the good try award this week i think i think there's no other way to put it
1: yeah i mean i'm still not at the end of the day the the most massive fan of this because i didn't even see the two goals against you know what i mean like i wasn't there for it i can't give my most informed opinion on it i'm kind of i'm going like i'm not to say that i don't trust your judgment camp obviously but i always like to verify things for myself i i mean i completely agree with the fact that you know if you're making big defensive lapses like that especially in a series where overall everybody played really really well it's kind of tough to single out a guy, you know, I mean, in three assists is three assists. That's freaking monumental. You know what I mean? I feel like he made mistakes, but then he atoned for them. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But I feel like not many other people made a whole lot of mistakes. You know, the only person, and we briefly mentioned it before we started recording was maybe Taylor again, just for the fact of, you know, having some, some poor penalties and, you know, he didn't really atone for them. I don't even think, I don't even know if he had any points this weekend. So it's like, Maybe you could argue that, but again, it's a really, really tough award to give out, especially when the, when the team as a whole has been playing extremely well so far this season. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like I said, it was really just picking at straws. Like they only gave up three goals on the weekend. You get two wins. It's tough to figure it out, but um, just with the eye test watching the games, that's where we went with it. And uh, yeah, we hope to see a little bit better defense in the future going forward. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's get into our custom awards. So, I guess I'll go first. The uh, the award that I'm going to give out, calling it the David and Goliath award, and uh, we talked about this guy a good amount, a little bit earlier in the episode, but it's going to Idar Sunayev. In the first game, he had uh, I'll call his first goal was the David goal. It was uh, kind of a rebound out in front. He just kind of cleaned it up, a little bit greasy, soft, but uh, he gets it to go for his first goal as a minute man. And then in the second game is the Goliath goal. I mean, an absolute wind up piss missile. So. Fun seeing him do it both ways. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of goals from this guy over the next couple of years, and just good to see that he can do it both ways like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome to see because, you know, you never really want to have a guy who's kind of one-dimensional, just kind of like this weird, like, one-trick pony. He has one type of shot, like, a good example. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a good example, but, like, you think of a guy like Ovechkin, right? Like, he has his signature move. Like, he's winding up the clap bomb from the left face-off dot. That's mm-hmm. what he does on the power play all the time. I think we could see that, you know, from, from, from SUNY have a lot, obviously, but I feel like he has, you know, it's like the, it's like a classic Shrek reference, right? Like he's like an onion. He has layers, you know what I mean? And there's layers to his game. And once you start peeling away those layers, you're going to start seeing different ways that he's going to score. And that's just, you know, he's, he, that type of dude, I know that's a weird reference, bear with me, but I, I think it really is applicable here. He's just a very multifaceted, you know, scorer but obviously just you know he still showed you know very positive checking ability at the times too i think he's very strong on and off the puck so i think there's there's a lot of his game that uh can be shown you know he has he has very very positive aspects to his game in in multiple areas so this is this is obviously a great start and i think he can do even better
0: going forward yeah two goals and uh hopefully we see a lot more going forward so uh what do you got for your award this weekend
1: All right, Cam, we're getting a little bit uh, tricky with the wordplay here. So we we always give Carvel's Character and Compete Award, the triple C, the CCC, if you will. Well, I'm going with the triple H. It's time to play the game, going for the Carvel's Helping Hand Award. And I'm giving this one to Ninasari. Um, You know, we've already talked about so far just how defensively stout he's been. You know, that's been a real cornerstone of his game. He's a defenseman's defenseman. Like, that's just the, the type of game that he plays. can had 11 shots blocked this weekend. That's freaking huge. You know what I mean? Like, Hrabble probably had something in, what, like, the high 50s, maybe low 60s for just total saves this weekend. Well, freaking Ninasari had 11, you know, of his own saves, essentially. So I think that's absolutely huge. You know, Hrabble's helping hand is just out there making his life a little bit easier. You know what I mean? Like, Hrabble's main job is to stop pucks. And just like Matt Murray, he loves stopping pucks, right? But I think Ninasari has has a little bit of a little bit of a job to do in that area too. You know, you can provide a little bit of, of help, you know, you, you can get by with a little bit of help from your friends every now and then. And I think I think that's what happened this weekend. So I just wanted to highlight that. I'm gonna highlight Harables' helping hand. How's that for alliteration there? And uh yeah, yeah it's great.
0: Yeah, I, I love that one. Uh, obviously seven block shots in one game is crazy. And then you just kind of take that bigger to the whole team 28 in game two 20 in game one 48 block shots on the weekend uh rabble had a lot of helping hands this weekend and i'd i'd love to see more of that uh against a shoot heavy bu team we're coming to see next weekend
1: yeah and one last thing i'll mention on the block shots i mean i think you said we had what 28 across the the whole weekend i'm pretty sure 48 wanna... across the whole weekend oh my bad yeah it was 28 yeah in one yeah. game sorry about that um yeah, what was the point that I was going to make? Yeah, I'm pretty sure 11 of those came from just two individuals in that second game. It was Ninasari and it was Bollinger, I'm pretty sure. I think mm-hmm. Bollinger had four in that game. So if you have 11, you know, or you know, just in, in one game from those two guys, I mean, that's a huge contribution right off the bat. You know what I mean? If you're getting, what is that? I'm trying to do percentages here. I'm like Rain Man. I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know. We got like, what, 30% of those just coming from two guys? Like, that's a massive, you know, freaking just – contribution from two guys right there you know when shot blocking is effectively a team effort but if you have two guys that are just you know gonna take the majority of that you know let's give let's give these guys a couple freaking ice packs you know what i mean i feel like (laughs) they've earned it like their thighs must be absolutely killing them from the series and they've earned it because that i feel like shot blocking is one of those things that nobody immediately will will notice and i mean i'm i'm gonna be the first one to say that you know what i mean like if you were to ask me hey who led the who led the team in shot blocks over this weekend I wouldn't have said in a sorry. That would have been a guess because I know that that's part of his game, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell you offhand, you know, who I don't take mental notes of shot blocks. And that's a really, really important part of the game that I feel like people don't really notice that much. So that was why I was hell bent on, on making sure that this was well-known to all the lovely people that listen to this podcast.
0: Yeah, it's, Again, it's absolutely phenomenal to see. Um, I think that's about it for for these two games. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit for bigger context for UMass. Obviously, they came into this series unranked. Minnesota State was number 19. Um, so really good to get two wins over a ranked opponent. I know Evan, Evan keeps saying how uh, he thinks Minnesota State's a little bit overrated. He was expecting the sweep. But um, to the people voting on the rankings still, it's it's two ranked wins. UMass is already kind of on the bubble. They had ranked votes, so um, we're going to go out on a limb, and I don't even think it's crazy to say it. Pretty much guarantees UMass getting ranked next week, which um, we're recording this now on a Sunday. It'll be uh, Monday afternoon. The rankings come out, so stay tuned to our socials to find out where they are, but uh, I think we could safely say that UMass is going to be ranked for the first time since the beginning of last season when they, they really didn't be deserve to be ranked, so um, basically the first time since postseason of uh 20 the two seasons ago
1: yeah i mean it's not a doubt in my mind we're gonna be ranked there's there's no doubt you know what i mean and i'm gonna give myself a quick pat on the back i put my neck out on the line last episode i said (laughs) that minnesota state were a bunch of frauds and i was right okay i'm i'm owning this one i'm feeling good you know i made a pretty bold claim saying they don't even deserve to be in the top 20 and i was right i knew you know they had a huge roster turnover they were riding you know the success from last season and I, I just – I don't think they were supposed to be at the, at the level that they were. So I, I'm i happy that I got that one right because I feel like if we did get swept, that would have been very awkward for me, and I probably would have – you probably would have been doing this episode solo, honestly. I wouldn't even want to show my <laughs> face online. You know, Like there's just – there's no way in hell I'd be doing this tonight. But, hey, I was right at the end of the day. That felt great. And, yeah, I don't think that there's any doubt in my mind that we're not going to be ranked. I'm expecting – if I had to guess, I'm thinking somewhere between like 14 and 17, maybe 13 and 17, around that 15 mark. I know Bouchergras, he does his little, you know, top 16 teams and he has a spotted right at 15. I don't know if he has like an insider scoop on, you know, where the rankings go, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty, you know, valid estimate for, you know, how we play this weekend and just how we look
0: overall as a team. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I think we definitely deserve to be there. And let's let's move on to next week i guess so yes, sir. um if we're ranked uh it'll definitely be an all ranked matchup against bu first game friday at bu at aganis we'll both be there that should be pretty fun then saturday at Mullins. so um, we're gonna have most likely a couple of ranked teams bu was number six this week in the um the men's poll i expect them to drop down a couple spots with uh their outcomes this weekend they played notre dame And they lost the first game four to one and they won the second game eight to two. So their offense really broke out there. But uh, I expect um, both teams to be ranked an awesome crowd at Mullen Center. Hopefully we got to make that happen for sure. So uh, should be a couple of great games, uh, hopefully coming up this weekend against BU.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're just going to get right into like the kind of the BU talk, I have some things that I can mention. But uh, if I if I'll just give kind of like my overall thoughts on the on the series, I guess, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty as we tend to do so. Yeah, I mean I think if you you know if we look back to the to the season preview episode that we did and I was looking at this series I was like ain't no way in hell we're winning you know what I mean I'm pretty sure I said it on the pot I was like is bu we we you know historically do not have very good luck against uh, you know specifically com av teams you know like northeastern at least away seems to have our number you know what I mean like they're yeah. they're usually pretty good in their home ice and same thing goes with bu I mean again this is you know, usually the thing that I look forward to most when it comes to Gannis is getting raising canes before the game. I'll be honest like then, cause I know usually it's going to be a tough night in that building, but I don't know, man, with the way that we're playing and the way that BU has been playing, like I'm looking at their schedule right now, they played five games. One of them's an exhibition, but that exhibition was against the freaking us under 18 team and they got creamed eight 2 now I actually followed the tweets for this game. And I remember, I'm pretty sure Henry Graham started it. If we want a quick little UMass, uh, throwback there I think he started that game I think he got chased out like 28 minutes in I think he had like five goals against so a little bit unfortunate for him but um I mean they got losses against New Hampshire bro and Notre Dame like UNH freaking beat them six to four I'm Mm. sorry but if you I mean granted you know to to UNH's credit they've had a very good start to the season so they might be better than I think but historically UNH has been a you know at least for the past you know five ten years now they've been a pretty meh program overall so the fact that they were able to do that against BU is massive. But, like, you know, the BU beat Notre Dame 8-2, to two, you know, most recently. That was just last night from when we were recording this. And they beat Bentley in overtime. They have one regulation win. Like, they're on a bit of a weird, you know, kind of start off to their season. And granted, every single one of these games has been away. They haven't played a home game yet. Well, I guess an official home game, the, the under U18, you know, game that was at aganis but again it's an exhibition so we're going to be giving them their first proper you know uh hockey use matchup inside aganis and that's an interesting thought for sure you know what i mean they might be able to feed off their crowd i don't know how it's going to be for them you know they're a very good team when they're at home so we'll see how it goes but my my overall thought process has changed quite a bit because i thought we wouldn't have had a shot if we looked at the beginning of the season and now i think we could get a split here You know what I mean? It's very similar to Michigan. I think we can definitely pull something out if we play our best.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And it'll be a third straight week of playing against a ranked opponent. So um, we should be up to the challenge, I would say. Um, Listen, BU's a really good team, offensively especially. um, They're still running out the same offensive formula out there um, that we've seen the last couple of years. They're they're a really uh, offensive-minded team. They like to get out on the rush. They like to cherry-pick. Um, get themselves in good odd number, odd man number situations, and they're led by Macklin Celebrini. Who's this listen, this guy's insane. Seventeen years old, uh, he has six points already in four games. He's probably going to be the first overall pick, so uh, he's leading the way on their offense. Uh, the name of the game is going to be limiting uh, odd man rushes and good goaltending. Obviously, we've seen that we can get good goaltending from Michael Grabble. So, um, if we're if we're going to want to win one, maybe two games this weekend. Uh, defense is going to have to be stellar just like they were this weekend.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like you guys completely skipped over the fact that Lane Hudson exists for them. Like, he was literally like a Hobie Baker finalist last season. Like, he was absolute filth for them. Granted, his stats for this season are kind of stinky. I think he actually leads – or not leads, but is the worst on the team in the plus-minus category with a minus four across three games, um, which is – quite frankly, god-awful for them, for him, for a player of his caliber. That's a very, very poor start to the season. So, I mean, they have, you know, the pedigree. They got, you know, Celebrini, who's, like you said, probably the first overall pick. You know, they have skill up the wazoo. You know, they're, they're just absolutely filthy, but there's just something about our grit, man. I don't know. I feel like this is one of those classic, like, you know, rocky situations where it's like, you know, just keep coming at me, man. And then, like you know, we're we're getting beat in the corner, but we're gonna we're gonna come out and you know, we're gonna we're gonna absorb all that pressure that they're gonna give us, and I think we can hit them on a counterattack and we'll be able to make some make some some damage happen to them. So, I, I like our chances, man. I don't know, there's just something about it. I'm I, I feel a little bit different about this game.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna need all the help we can get. Um, like to see a lot of UMass fans on Friday night at Aganis. We'll we'll be there. We're sitting in section 103. If you want to come through. Um, I think that'd be a big help to the team. Um, and uh, uh, before we, before we hop off BU here, um, we'll just talk about their goalie a little bit. He's a guy you might remember, Matthew Caron. Um, he hasn't been great this season. His save percentage is 877. So uh seems like not great defense in front of him so far. He's given up three and a half goals per game in the first four games. Uh, he's Most definitely the guy you will see. And uh, most recently we saw him at Brown. He was a transfer goalie from there. So, Somewhat of a familiar face and uh, not too much of an intimidation uh, from the opposing goaltender going in.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when he was playing for Brown, he was filth. I don't know what it is about this new team. I don't know if it's a different, like, defensive scheme that he's just not used to yet. I don't know what it is, but he has not been performing up to his normal, you know, 920 save percentage standard. I think, let me just double check. He was at an 877 right now The 355 goals against average. Like good lord, man! You know, what I mean? like, that's that is not a good way to start off. So, I mean, we'll we'll see if he can bounce back. I freaking hope that he doesn't, obviously. But you know, that's just a little bit of my my own personal bias. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll definitely see how it shakes out. But they, I'm I'm worried about Salabrini, if I'm being honest with you, because you know we we saw what a very skillful team can do to us. You know, we lost seven two. Granted, mm-hmm. you know that wasn't with Rabal and Net. Things might be different with Rabble, you know, and that's not to disparage Cole Brady at all. But we've just seen, you know, there's there's a bit of a different level going on right now. And you know, if Rabble gets both of those games and he does his his Rabble magic, then I think we'll be able to see some some good things happen for sure. Like I'm trying to think off the top of my head, have we have we lost with with Rabble and Net yet? No, we have not. We haven't. So I mean, who knows, man? You know, there's just something about him taking the crease. We we just, we just play differently. So we'll see how it goes. But I I've, I've I think I've said it enough now. I, I do feel decent about the series now. I think a split is definitely possible.
0: Yeah, and, and one last thing. BU uh, clearly hasn't found it yet. Um, they haven't gotten rolling their offense. Uh, coming into this series, they're 2-for-18 on the power play. You'd think a team with skill like this would be putting up a better mark than that. So, um, And obviously with the record, having two losses already, still trying to figure things out. Uh, hopefully it could be hopefully it could be one more weekend before they start to fight, figure things out. Uh, let UMass get a, a win or two this weekend.
1: Yeah, that would be great, and I I genuinely do think that'll happen. I mean, granted they got eight against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe they found a little bit of something going on. But I think that was without Lane Hudson in their lineup, which is I don't know if that's more or less scary. Like <laughs> it seems it seems a bit weird that they're doing that without borderline their best player, mm. but. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe things get worse if Lane Hudson comes back from injury. You know, he's leading their team. You know, in the minus section of the plus minus. So, you know, let's let's hope that he comes back and maybe maybe he uh, he actually makes their team a bit worse. I don't know. We'll see. But
0: yeah, and let's uh let's show up at Aganis on Friday. Let's show up at Mullins. Let's have our second consecutive shutout at, or uh, not shutout sellout at Mullins. That'd be pretty hey, good.
1: hey hey. Let's get a shutout too. I'm down for that <laughs> as well. All right, sellouts and shutouts. You know, hey, if if we have anybody from the UMass hockey marketing department. Let's get that onto a graphic real quick. You guys can pay us our money later. It's totally fine. We'll even help you with the graphic if you want. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, we'll get some sellouts and shutouts on the menu for uh, hey, just every single game going forward. I think that'd be pretty freaking cool.
0: Yeah, if we do that this weekend, I might be running through the, the streets of UMass Amherst waving my shirt over my head. That'd be awesome. I mean yeah, I I am going to hold you to that now. We're going to do that, okay? We're we're going to get a, a public
1: shirtless <laughs> streaking charge and then we're going to be a, it's going to be a great time, dude.
0: Hey, if if UMass wins on Saturday and will get gets shut out, I will do it. All right,
1: there? let's get it. I'll dude, I'll be the, I'll be the cameraman. I'll be taking selfies right
0: alongside you, dude. That'll be perfectly right. fine by me. All right. So we got that on the line. Um, should be an absolutely awesome weekend. And uh, before we wrap this episode up, I thought we'd just talk a little bit about the out-of-town scoreboard for Hockey East this yes, weekend. Some pretty pretty interesting outcomes. So uh, first off, we had Denver visiting Providence and visiting BC. Uh, Denver coming in as the number two team in the country, I believe. And Providence beat them four to three in Providence. And then uh, um, they actually beat BC four to three at BC the following day. So Providence is able to get them. BC can't quite get there, but uh, some pretty decent outcomes against the number two team in the country. We have Quinnipiac who beats New Hampshire on the road and then New Hampshire got them in overtime mm-hmm. on Saturday, five to four. So pretty interesting outcome there. Merrimack beat Clarkson four to one. Um, believe that was their only game of, or no, they played Sunday and they, uh, they beat St. Lawrence five to two. So Couple of down teams they were able to take advantage of. UMass Lowell beat Colgate on the road in both games, four to two and five to two. UConn having a really rough start to the season. They lost four to one at Union on Friday. They played them again on Saturday and beat them five nothing. But um, some weird things happening down there for UConn. Um, we already mentioned Notre Dame beat BU four to one. Then BU came back the next day and uh, jumped them eight to two. Um, Boston college played Rensselaer and on Friday night, they beat him six to one. And then obviously UMass Minnesota state, you guys know how that one went. So some pretty interesting comes. I've, I'm scared for BU quite honestly. They seem like the only team, um, also BU, what did I say? BU. Yeah. Scared for BU a little bit, but, uh, hope they can continue their losing ways a bit against us. And then also UConn, um, been a weird start to the season from them, but other than that, it seems like everybody in hockey east has had a pretty good start um to the season.
1: Yeah, no, I think the, the UNH one's the one that kind of pops out to me quite a bit. I mean, mm. they're getting they're getting some big wins, you know what I mean? Like they they go up against what was it, B U and Quinnipiac? Like yeah, yeah, we go up against them. basically a team that was destined for the frozen four and then the eventual winner of it all, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Granted, they're a little bit different teams now. I get it. You know, it's not the, it's the same exact team, but just to be able to even come close to that, you know what I mean? Like that's that's wild to me. So fair play to UNH because I thought they were gonna be another bottom dweller. You know what I mean? That's that's just what they tend to what, what they tend to do. And I mean that very well could still be the case. You know, I mean, we've you know, just kind of like what happened with UMass, you know, we had a very strong start against some really good ranked opponents and then we fell off a bit. So I'm not gonna read too much into it yet, because I feel like that would be doing just an overall disservice, just knowing our own, you know, struggles with that exact issue, you know, last season. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it can definitely be a bit of a humbling experience later on. But yeah, just a lot of, you know, the same thing with UConn too. Like I was expecting UConn to be freaking amazing this season. You know, I think I had them in my, in my rankings at like third or fourth, you know, they were going to be a really, really high ranked team in my opinion. And they're, they're a bit shaky to start off with, you know, like losing to union four one. Like that's a team that we freaking destroyed like six, nothing last season. And again, that was last season. I get that. But like, lads, it's union. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's crazy to me. So, you know, you're able to kind of redeem yourself a little bit, five, nothing there, but just the fact that the four, one even happened, like that's, that's wild to me. So like you said, a lot of very interesting scores that again, I don't want to read into too much because it doesn't tell the whole story of an entire season, but just the fact that it even happened is interesting enough to me.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, the other thing that really caught my eye was Providence um, playing really well. They beat Denver, obviously, number two. Um, and then I forgot to mention they also beat RPI four to two. So, um, yeah, they, they've they had a really good start so far. I'm I'm interested to see where they go. They're always kind of the team kind of drifting between 15th and 20th in the rankings uh, national rankings every year. So maybe we see them crack the top 10, start to raise even higher. And then uh, you mentioned UNH. I, with the outcomes they've had, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they sneak into the national rankings. Um, I know that's crazy to say, but with the small sample size, what you have to go off of and the teams that they beat, I think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's, it's, it's insane to me
1: just how crazy ranked wins can just completely blast you up the rankings. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I mean, we beat Denver. You know, we we rocketed right up those those rankings almost immediately.
0: I believe we were number four after those wins. Yeah, and what were we before that? Do you remember? I think we started the season around ten, around ten, somewhere okay. around there. Yeah. So I mean, I feel
1: like there's definitely, you know there's the possibility for UNH to jump even higher because, let's be real, their they're pair-wise and just overall rankings were probably very low to start the season off because they, they finished, what, I think, dead last or second to last last mm-hmm. season in hockey. So they, you know, were not a very highly ranked team to begin with. So if they're getting, you know, these sorts of ranked wins, I feel like just the overall difference in ranking between the two teams would just launch them up even higher. You know, so I, I definitely think, you know, they could... It, at the bare minimum, I think they're getting some ranked votes. I don't know if they're going to squeak into that top twenty. We'll see. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think again, a lot of very, very interesting scorelines here. And I think there's going to be a lot of Hockey East teams either around that rank bubble or right at like anywhere between you know fifteen and twenty that we weren't expecting to be seeing on the rank list. You know what I mean? Like, yep. if you were to ask me, like, you know, is is UNH going to be on there? But you know. A team like UConn might not be I'm sitting there, I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> it's it's not adding up to me. I'm doing the math and it ain't math. And so mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, you know, it's weird. But hey, that's the beauty of college hockey. You know what I mean? These these types yep. of things are gonna happen. You're gonna get surprises on on a weekly basis. So hopefully we'll be on the positive side of those surprises come next weekend, though. I think that'll be pretty fun.
0: Yeah, and it's uh it's it's real early. You can't you can't buy too much into those rankings this early in the season. But also, uh, you look at Pairwise. UMass is number fifth in the country right now in Pairwise, so mm. that is awesome to see. Obviously, you can't read too much into that with how few games have been played, but uh, strength of schedule plays into that, and obviously the outcome. So um, things are looking good for UMass hockey right now. I'll say that. Stop!
1: Stop the count! Stop the count! <laughs> oh my God, I, don't, I don't care, dude. I, dude, that's that's all I needed to hear. Yeah. If we're if we're up at fifth right now, that's huge. You know what I mean? Because again, they you know. We're gonna get into a certain part of the season in the next probably probably month or so, where we start really looking at the pairwise stuff. We're gonna say, oh well, the national rankings don't mean anything; it's all about pairwise. But we're still gonna be glued to the USHO you know polls anyway. It's not gonna matter. So, we you know realistically, you shouldn't care too much about those rankings and those polls, because it really is all about pairwise. But mm-hmm. it's always fun to see that shiny number next to your team name at the end of the day. So. We're gonna be looking at both and we're gonna give you guys all the updates as we see them. We're gonna probably, you know, we're gonna be retweeting the post right when it comes out. We might even have some of our own graphics, maybe if we uh if if we're, you know, ranked highly enough and we're we're feeling really good about how the team's doing. So keep your eyes peeled on our on our social medias for anything uh, you know, that we'll be posting.
0: Yeah, and uh I think that's all we got. Another beast of an episode it's shocking how fun it is to do this when the team is playing well compared to last year I'll we say were that.
1: slogging through last season but it was <laughs> tough like we're sitting there we're like all right yeah we got scored on again like now yeah. we're like hey we're the one scoring let's go this is cool so, feels good to be back i i don't i mean it's not like i dreaded hating those episodes or making those episodes last season but there's just it's just a different vibe you know what i mean yeah. i I feel a lot better about the team. I don't feel nervous going into a series now. You know, I still do. I feel sick to my stomach every time I watch the game. because so like, take it way too seriously. But, hey, it is what it is. That's how I get my enjoyment out of the stuff. And it has been very enjoyable as of late.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's just a lot of great things to be talking about. Uh, we, we don't even find time to fit in everything that we uh, we talk about during the week. Good things that we have to say. So a lot of great things going around UMass Hockey. They get two wins on the road. We couldn't be happier about that, and it's on to BU. Hopefully, we're going to see you guys in person at both of those. You know we'll be there. Um, Section T at UMass, Section 103 at BU if you want to come through and say hi. Um, We'd love to, to talk to you about UMass hockey, so we're looking forward to it. Next Friday, can't come soon enough. Thank you guys for listening, and go UMass.
1: Go UMass. Take care, everybody. We're getting some canes on Friday. We're getting two wins this weekend. Let's go.
0: Let's go.